0: Welcome to Letters to Women, a podcast that explores the feminine genius. Today's podcast episode is sponsored by Sock Religious, an online mom and pop store started by Scott and Elizabeth back in 2017. Check out Sock Religious Socks and bring the faith to the workplace and spice up your Sunday best. Their Catholic socks are the perfect gift for your confirmation candidate, your pastor, your favorite Catholic, and of course yourself. Check them out at sockreligious.com and find their website in today's show notes. We can't avoid suffering. The greater our capacity for love, the greater our capacity for suffering. So after tragic loss, how can we grieve in a way that honors those that we've lost? In today's episode, A Letter to the Woman Who's Grieving, I visit with Paula D'Arcy. You'll find that Paula's faith was always colored by life's ultimate questions, and she found herself at a young age asking if she was being held, ultimately, by love. Throughout incredible loss, she found that she was being held by love and that as difficult as things were, there was always a love that exceeded even the worst circumstances. Paula's story is incredible and inspiring, and I found our conversation invaluable. I can't wait to share it with you and introduce you to Paula. We're welcoming to the show Paula Darcy. She is the author of Winter of the Heart, Finding Your Way Through the Mystery of Grief, which is a a book that was just published through Ave Maria Press, and so we're really excited to have you on the show, Paula. Thanks for your time this morning. Thank you. So just to, just to start and give, for people who haven't encountered you as an author um, and as a Catholic woman, can you tell us a little bit about your story as a Catholic woman in your life?
1: Um, yeah, I actually grew up in a very interesting way in that my dad was Catholic, my mother was not. Mm. So there was that range of, um, I don't know, inquiry and, and questions and stuff mm-hmm. in my in my life, and I was the third child, and the fourth child, the only boy, um, got meningitis when he was just a baby, oh and so that was uh, a piece of just our family history that really defined our lives growing mm-hmm. up, mm-hmm. and what I remembered then in terms of my Catholicism was how, when he was so sick and and really was permanently brain damaged mm-hmm. by the experience. You know, we would pray the rosary every night, and I went to church. Tended to go to church a lot,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and my my faith became mm-hmm. something. Even as a very young person, I think because of that family history that. Was very, very deep in me, but mostly it was about a personal relationship with, with Christ mm-hmm. and the depth of love that I heard expressed in just the whole history and, and life of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not sure that that was specifically Catholic, mm-hmm. you know, as mm-hmm. I grew, although that's, that's my, tradition but it became very large it it opened me up to people in the world who are hurting and mm-hmm. things that happened that you didn't want to happen and questions that you ask them and you know why why would an innocent child have to go through this yeah so that was a huge part of of my my growing up and the depth that that I found let's say, when, when I went to Mass and, and when I prayed.
0: Mm-hmm. How old were you when your little brother was going through meningitis?
1: Um, I was just four.
0: Wow, that's crazy. What a, a lot of suffering to encounter just at such a young age and to be able to, yeah. to lean on Christ is incredible.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it actually, I mean, you don't realize it when you're going through it, mm-hmm. but, but looking back on it, mm-hmm. um, you certainly do. And he was just a very, very, very important part of my life. He lived with us for many years. My mom was a nurse, Mm -hmm. but he eventually became just too long, too heavy for her to take care of. This was way before the days of all the kinds of equipment and stuff that people might have today or even services Mm -hmm. that could come to the house to help. So clearly his his presence in our home was a very defining thing and I saw him as just a presence of pure love. Oh. That's what that was my experience of it. And he he went to be in a hospital I think when I was the age of nine mm-hmm. and they didn't allow siblings even to to go and to visit until you were sixteen years old. So oh there my were gosh huge things where I really leaned into my faith and, you know, just felt a connection to him, you know, through the the Holy Spirit, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. And when I got my driver's license, that was the first place that I went, oh, you know, went so to beautiful. see him and chose a college that was just down the road. But in my freshman year of college, I just had been there a couple of months and he died.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: And it, so it was not really even eight years later mm-hmm. that I experienced the loss of my own husband and daughter. So there was just, my faith was always colored by the ultimate questions. Yeah. And was I, was I being held ultimately by love, which was my conclusion. That I was being held by love, and that difficult though things were, there was a love that exceeded even the circumstance, and that was clearly my way through.
0: That's incredible. And what does your life look like now? You you've written books, but you also are a retreat leader as well. Can you tell us a little bit about what what life looks like for you currently?
1: Yeah. Um, I would say I spent probably the last 30 years of my life. I was I was pregnant at the time that my family was killed, and mm-hmm. so I have a surviving daughter who, in later years, has has begun to work with me, and it's I guess a way of reaching back to people who may be in the place of darkness that mm-hmm. I was in mm-hmm. when my family was killed, and wanting to offer something that might give somebody else hope that if you can look at one other person and say, they found a way through, then there's a way for me. And I remember hearing once, um, Jim Finley, the writer say, you come to a fork in the road and you either will despair or you'll go deeper. Mm -hmm. And so my life has been about that call to go deeper and to lead retreats so that people can come and be in the silence and, go deeper. That's, that's been the thrust of it.
0: That's so beautiful. I love what you're talking about, like for people to be able to look at, at another person who's experienced suffering and, and see that there is hope and that, that you can go deeper and that there's an, an alternative to the despair um, that's sometimes yes. so easy to fall into, especially after loss and suffering. It is. Yeah. So you've mentioned this, that you, you just your life is just an experience of incredible loss. So you lost your your husband and your daughter in a drunk driving accident What did that look like for you in in processing that grief? You know, I was 27. Mm -hmm.
1: And I think there were probably a couple of years, if we could really go back in time and Mm -hmm. look at that, where all I was doing was putting one foot in front of the other and getting through the day. Mm -hmm. I was three months pregnant. I was in the accident but lived and held the pregnancy. And I think initially i just ate because i was pregnant Mm -hmm. and and to stay alive Mm -hmm. for that child but i i was in really a sea of pain that i didn't even know had existed even though i had already been through college and graduate school Mm -hmm. and was trained as a psychotherapist i had had no idea i don't think actually anybody does until you go through it but the anchors from my childhood were there's ultimately a love that exceeds the pain and that if you just surrender into that, ultimately you'll find your way and that became my my path and the healing always takes longer than anyone wants. Mm-hmm. It, it always takes time and it took me time but I had something within me that really wanted to do the healing then and do it as thoroughly as i could so that i wouldn't be carrying any more pieces of it than than might naturally be there for the rest of my life i wanted again it was that that love that experience of of a love and there were so many times i mean i can i can tell you one instant that i remember so clearly my new child had just been born, Beth, my daughter Beth. And it was Christmas time and friends had come and put up a Christmas tree. I I didn't even care. It was too soon. And I was sitting in a rocking chair and I just fed Beth and put her down to sleep. And I was sitting in front of the lights of the tree and something just passed over me. I mean, it just, it was like a feeling of warmth and energy that just passed over me and this knowing came inside that just said you know right now you're looking at a small piece of a very large picture but there is more and there's something that has never left your side so there were moments like that where clearly for me God came and it wasn't in any way I'd ever been taught it, it just would come and then those feelings of peace might last 24 hours, 48 hours, and then I would go on my way again. And I think it just cemented for me the direction that I was looking to find my way through was inside and,
0: and not outside. That's incredible. Wow. I, your story is amazing, just especially like we... Uh, for my story, we lost our son, Marion, uh, in a miscarriage. It's been almost a year. It'll be a year this Sunday. And just oh, wow. hearing, I'm so sorry that's um, so recent. Thank you. But just like hearing another, like you said, like hearing someone who's been through through incredible loss, and just knowing that you're not alone, and knowing that there, um, that there's hope and grief, is just an incredible, like a source of inspiration. So yeah, beautifully fitting, just to be able to sit down and have a conversation with you. Yeah, so close to his anniversary, and just to hear the story of your family as well and i think one of the things that
1: i often tell people mm-hmm. when i'm sitting with them and they're going through whatever is the you know the shattering of their own dream mm-hmm. or their own loss that so often other voices in the world tell you things that aren't helpful mm-hmm. like gee by now you should be doing better than this or yeah. You're young, you'll marry again. You're young, you'll have another child. I mean, all these things that when you're in that kind of pain and loss mm-hmm. just don't help. Mm-hmm. And I tell people to really trust what will come up from inside because that's where I think that love often speaks. And you just you hold your own course. Mm-hmm. If mm-hmm. You just say that that something is, is with me. And it's not how I expected to really have an experience of God in right. life. I thought it would come in different ways, but right. God was with me. And mm-hmm. that was the light that, that really shone through the darkness and, and realizing also that there can be darkness mm-hmm. in life mm-hmm. and there will be things at times. Everyone experiences loneliness at some point. People experience rejection. They experience betrayal. They experience things that they can't understand, that we will go through that, Mm -hmm. but that, again, there's something that exceeds that, Mm -hmm. and that's what you want to find. That's the truth that you need to
0: find. Right. Um, You've mentioned this before, how you really don't know how you process grief as an individual until you have to process grief, Mm -hmm. Um, and every heart just breaks differently, so how does, how does knowing that there's, there's not just one right way to grieve? Like there's not just one, like, you know, follow steps one through seven and it'll be okay. So how does knowing that each heart will, will heal differently as well, just free us up um, to be able to grieve in our own way? Because I think you stop
1: maybe for the first time in your life, mm-hmm. listening again to these other voices mm-hmm. who say there's a correct way to do this. Mm-hmm. And you begin to trust your own voice. And, and what's speaking to you from inside, and you realize that I don't have to live up to anything. Mm-hmm. I don't have to match the way somebody else did it. The way that I'm doing it mm-hmm. is is the right way for me. I think grief is seldom a clean slate, mm-hmm. meaning that when we go through loss, we've we've already lived some life, and there are things that we've already, either processed or failed to process. We have mm-hmm. an emotional nature. We grieve actually pretty consistently with who we are. Mm-hmm. Like a strong, silent type doesn't usually become very talkative in grief. Right. And we have to trust that mm-hmm. and and realize that we're all so unique and that we can do this in our very own way. So I find that when I had a private practice and was seeing people going through grief a lot of what I did was just give permission Mm -hmm. to say you're doing fine you're doing fine put the book down if it insults you whatever you're reading or or don't listen to the people that are rushing you Mm -hmm. you just have to have permission to heal your life and to do it in your own pace Mm
0: -hmm. I remember going to spiritual direction and therapy after losing Marianne. And the one thing that has really stuck with me throughout this, this whole year has been like the phrase, like, it's okay. Like I remember yeah. sitting there with my therapist and, and thinking like, why am I at this stage of grief again? I was here last week. Why am I not getting better? And just like the assurance of someone it, for, for me, it was a ther- in therapy where it was like, you know, it's okay. It is okay. If you're here again, three weeks from now, like that's totally fine. Your heart needs to heal the way that it needs to heal. And so, yeah, it's incredibly comforting to, to be able to be free from, this, you know, there is a social construct or something that, you know, someone who loves you, who just isn't translating well, um, has told you that, like, you should be better by now, or you should be at a different stage, for sure.
1: And I remember the, the moment when I realized that grief wasn't linear, mm-hmm. like, it wasn't like you get the flu, and you take a pill, and every day, you're better and better because mm-hmm. of the antibiotic, and mm-hmm. how it, it just is very circular, just what you're saying, and that you, you feel like, okay, I've already... Experience this once and then it comes back again, but usually in, in a deeper way or mm-hmm. to make the healing be more thorough and it can make you crazy until yep. somebody says to you, this is normal. This mm-hmm. is what grief looks like. And sometimes after a good period of time had passed and you might have felt, Oh, I'm doing better. Mm-hmm. I'm, I laughed today or I, I'm just not as 24 hours consumed by this and then all of a sudden you hear a song or you hear about somebody else's good fortune whatever Mm -hmm. it is and you're back in it and you always think i'm regressing and it's really not it's just like that is the root of grief i think we couldn't take all the pain all at once right away you just couldn't so you take as much as you can you have a little respite and then the wave comes in again and the person that told me that's normal. I mean, I will remember that for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. That's so true. Um, Yeah. Oh, it's so freeing. And like you said, like even you process these stages of grief and just knowing that they're a circle and that you're probably going to like revisit them again is freeing too, because then it's not beating up on yourself when you hit, you know, stage six again, because it's, you're, you're approaching it from a, you're a different person than you were when you were in that stage last time. And so you're going to be approaching that grief differently for sure.
1: I mean, one thing, this is just very honest, but one thing that, that I just noticed in the city where I'm living, Mm -hmm. there's just been, uh, a serial bomber. And mm. so the whole city was, was on alert and you just never knew what you were looking for. If it was a package you were being vigilant about or if it was a tripwire. And I found that it really resonated for me, even though my losses now, that accident mm-hmm. missed 40 some years ago. But the remembrance of what it was like to think something can happen. And come at you unaware, mm-hmm. and there's really you're powerless to ward it off because mm-hmm. you don't see it coming. I was amazed at how
0: that came back for me. Yeah, it's incredible those those little triggers that will that will like bring back thoughts and and processes. And I remember, like even when after we lost Marion, it was the smallest little things like you know a friend announcing a pregnancy seeing a little kid in the grocery store where even if that that had been a good day like it was crazy to see how things in our environment and our in our world can have such a large effect on how we we process grief way after the fact of the of the accident right. or the loss yeah, yeah.
1: On a i remember pa- the day i was in a, a dressing room and I, I heard other people come in and realize that a mother was there mm-hmm. helping her daughter get a dress for the prom. Mm-hmm. And then I heard the name spoken, and I knew it was the mother of a daughter, and my daughter would have been going to that prom had oh, she lived. Gosh. And, you know, I couldn't leave that dressing room.
0: No, nope. so, no. Nope. So.
1: Yeah. But I also, I think it's been so helpful for me to experience in my own life and to see in other people's lives that there's always this perception that one day everything ties up in a bow Mm. and you never would have sadness ever again, and it's not true. And everything in life doesn't tie up in a bow. And that wound actually became, the transformation of that wound became a great compassion Mm -hmm. for what people in the world go through. So I, I wouldn't want to not have that knowledge in me. Right. And I realized so you you know, you live with that, but it doesn't mean that it defines
0: you. Mhm. Mm-hmm. When when we were going through loss, I remember someone had told me like when you first go through a loss it's like you're carrying a boulder on your shoulder and like you have this huge weight and you can't imagine what it would ever be like to not have this weight. And as you go through the grieving process and as you, as time passes and you heal and, and you process that grief, like your, your grief shrinks slowly to, to when you maybe you're carrying it and it's like a pebble, but you're never going to just toss the pebble away because you don't want to carry right. something. Like it will always be with you. and it's something that, that helps define, I mean, it's part of your story and like throwing that away because you don't want to carry it anymore would be losing part of like who God has made you to be and what the, the, the story that you're living.
1: And I think for myself, it's so much light eventually came through that fracture. Mm-hmm. So much experience of the light of God came through that, that I, I can only be grateful. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can only be grateful. Mm-hmm. And I realize, you know, today that when people are ready, when they're ready to, to be able to say, Yes, to your life allows you to begin to see, you know, some of the blessing. There's a, a movie that came out last year called Collateral Beauty. Yep. And I think that's so true that even at the time when the hardest things are happening, even at that time, there's still beauty in your life. It's, it's being able to, to access it and, and to see it. And I, I know for me, Oh, it was was many, many, many years later, and I was moving from New England, where I had been raised and where I had lived with my husband and and first daughter, Mm -hmm. and I was moving to the southwest, and someone in the town close to where I had lived, had asked me if I would come and give a talk at a funeral home. Mm-hmm. There were, they had many parents that year who had lost children. And I felt that I couldn't do it because I was closing a very large private practice as a mm-hmm. therapist and my mm-hmm. days were really numbered. And I said to them, I, I just couldn't take time from my clients. And the person who extended the invitation, really persisted. So Mm -hmm. in the end, I went, only to find that it was exactly the town where my accident had happened. So I did what I did that night, and then I had said that I would stay if anyone wanted to speak personally, and it was a long, long line. Mm -hmm. And at the end of this very long line, there was one person left standing there, and she was Mm middle-aged, And she looked at me with a little smile on her face, and she said, So, after all, you made it. And I mean, I was tired, and I had to drive back to Boston that night. And I looked at her, and I said, You look at me as if you knew me. I'm sorry. I I have no recollection Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. we've met. And then she said to me, When your accident happened, and you were delivered to the nearest medical center. Mm -hmm. I was your primary nurse. Oh, my gosh. I received you into my arms. I, I held you. I was with you for the 11 days that you were with us. I was with you when they came to tell you that everyone else had not lived. And she said, when you left, She said, I'm a Christian and I prayed for you. And she said, if you can find your discharge papers, you'll see that that's so. So my dad had kept the papers Mm -hmm. and we found them. And where the primary nurse had to fill in, what is the prognosis Mm -hmm. for the rest of this person's life? Uh She had written, ordinarily, I would say that it would be pretty weak Uh because it's such an all encompassing loss. But she said, as I sat every night and prayed with her, I, which was just her silently praying. I mean, right. I, I had no no memory of this at all. Uh-huh. And she said, I, I feel like I saw a light in her. And I think if that light grows, mm-hmm. that she will find her way. And so she remembered all those years wow. and saw my listing in the newspaper for the talk I was giving. And came to meet me. That was huge for me. I cried all the way back to Boston because I thought to myself, this is exactly it. At times in your life when things are so desperate and so dark, you can't see collateral beauty. You can't see that somebody extremely loving is caring for you. You're so consumed by the pain. But I would have said I was entirely alone during that time Mm -hmm. and there was no sign of anything that was supporting me, and there it was—proof. Oh so that's it says to me, and to anybody else I'll ever work with, even though you can't see it, it doesn't mean it's not
0: there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's so true. Wow, what a blessing to be able to to meet her and and hear the yeah. full, like full version of what happened during those days at the hospital. Oh my gosh, yeah. that's beautiful. One you one relationship that can sometimes that can either take a hit or really grow deeper is our relationship with God when we go through grief. And you mentioned this in the beginning, like this question of like, why do good things and why do bad things happen to, to good people? Or why me Lord? Like, why is it me who's having to go through this? So when we're going through the process of grief, what are things that we can do to, to dig deeper into that relationship with God and to be honest with him in prayer as well? Like, can we be angry at him when we're grieving in, in our prayer life?
1: Uh, I think, we can definitely be angry Mm -hmm. and i think a huge thing for me was i had a version of god i had an idea about how a god who protects you Mm -hmm. should behave so in my version he should have stopped the speeding car with Mm -hmm. the drunk driver or he should have stopped like what happened with my brother that, that that was my version and in the intensity of that grief, I realized that my version of God, just like my version of what life should be, might not be God at all. Mm. And so I was very angry at my version, right. but I didn't know God. I knew about God. Yep. I knew about God. And this was the moment of going so deep inside and just praying a very, very simple prayer. If you're real, then show me who you really are. Mm -hmm. And that's when I began to see the overwhelming love that really brings us into this life and holds us all the way through it. But I had to be willing to let go of my version. I've Mm -hmm. certainly worked with people and known people over the years that stay very, very angry because Mm -hmm. there's a way they want God to be. And that isn't who God is mm-hmm. ultimately.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think grief just gives you such a, an opportunity to really dig into like who he actually is. And yeah. there's just a, yeah, a beauty in being honest in prayer. I remember just the first, I mean, like if you looked at my prayer journals, the first couple of months after our loss, it was very much like, Lord, I don't understand why you didn't fix this. Like that same thing. Like right it was, it, when we went to mass, uh, the weeks during the weeks after our loss, it was the story of Lazarus and, you know, Jesus, Cries over h- losing his friend, but then he he brings him back to life. And I just remember being so angry. I mean, Lord, like that's who you are. Like, why did you like let this happen in our story? Like, why? Where were you? And just realizing that, like, like you said, I had a, my own version of God, where God followed my plans and and God fulfilled um, kind of this dream for my life that I had set out. And the reality was that God was wanting to do something different, and I wasn't I wasn't comfortable with that. I, I didn't want my plans. Um, to be ruined by by loss, and so yeah, it's such a beautiful time that grief can either either be a chance. It to becomes like or... a doorway. It yes. can be. Yes. pain can be a real opening. Yep, and one that we get the we get the choice to walk through or not, and he he leaves that up to us. Um, the world, um, the culture that we live in, tells us uh, to put on a mask and to to tell others we're fine. Like we've experienced this, like in the grieving process, with friends saying like, uh, you know, you should be. Should we be over this by now, or you should be in a different stage? Why should we um, take off a mask of being fine and stop holding in our grief? And how important is community during a time of loss?
1: I, I think that um, a good community is invaluable. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's hard to understand that our emotions are really an energy. Mm-hmm. And when we stuff that down inside and deny it even to ourselves, mm-hmm. oh, I'm okay, I'm, I'm just going to get back, you know, into life, mm-hmm. that that energy doesn't go anywhere. Right. It just becomes like a, you said before, like a big rock. I mean, it just becomes a weight mm-hmm. tamped down inside of us. And it takes actually a lot of life energy to keep those emotions at bay, and then something else happens, and something else happens, and now you have an incredible amount of energy and healing that hasn't been done Mm -hmm. that you're walking around trying to deal with, and there's there's no way that you can be free when that happens. So it's, you know, the word that always comes to mind that everybody hates, but is it's surrendering mm-hmm. even that, surrendering to the tears, surrendering to one honest conversation you can have. Or you talked about having a journal. That's mm-hmm. so good to, you know, to write honestly in the journal. If the pain moves, mm-hmm. if it gets from the inside of us to the outside of us mm-hmm. through some of those ways, then we have so much more of ourselves available for the healing. That's but so if you, if you stuff something down inside, the healing just doesn't happen. Right. And so because you can't say, well, I won't feel those painful feelings, but Mm. I'll feel all the joyful feelings in life, it actually doesn't work that way. Right. Because to the extent that we hold back on any of those feelings, then we can't really experience all that life is. There's no way that you don't then, to some degree, live life protecting yourself and and not really opening yourself.
0: Right, right. C.S. Lewis has this quote where he talks about to love is to be vulnerable. And, and you have two choices. Like you can either have a breakable heart or you can have an unbreakable heart. And in some okay. ways, like, yeah, you, you open yourself up to so much pain when you love someone. But at the same time, like, I'd rather have, you know, the pain that comes with the joy of and suffering altogether than to not have any of those emotions or to stuff everything down and to just kind of live life. Um, kind of like, you know, like a zombie, like walking through it and not having those emotions or processing anything. Yeah. At some point in the healing process, Christ asks us, like, do we want to be made well? Um, how do we go about preparing to answer that question, if that comes up in prayer?
1: I think I think one of the greatest preparations is even to be aware of it.
0: Mm-hmm. Because
1: I was so young that I hadn't even been So aware of that. And then I started reading through scripture and I thought, this is happening over and over and over and over. Do you want to be well? And, you know, initially, again, angrily, yes, I want to be well, Mm -hmm. do it this way. Mm -hmm. And then when you you start to relax that, you realize that the yes has to come from us, Mm -hmm. that the healing is there, the possibility of being well again is there but not against ourselves Mm -hmm. that we have to be willing to say yes i i am willing to understand more deeply what life really is and to let go of what i think life should be and yes i am i am willing to know you and to give up my version of who i thought you should be and so just that awareness that we are part always of the healing process mm-hmm. and that in anything really, in anything we go through, it's, it's like, you know, if you get the flu, but you will never rest or you won't, you know, eat better or, you know, take the time to let your body recover, we're working against healing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's, it's the most vital question. Do you want to be well? And, and then if you do, can you become aligned with the way life is really moving,
0: mm-hmm. with the
1: way love really is, with who I really am? Yep.
0: In your book, you write healing means opening the heart and saying yes to the life we've been given. And I think that just sums up so beautifully what you just said. Like Sometimes in our life, we're asked to accept like an incredibly different plan than the one that we kind of had in mind. Um, and, and there's such a beauty of, like, you have said surrender, so, like, it, oh my gosh, that resonates so much in my heart, where like, that's what we're called, we're called to be receptive um, to the Lord's plan, and sometimes it doesn't doesn't look like we think it will, um, but just knowing that, that the, knowing that there is a plan, even even when it's hard to see when you're in the trenches, and you're in, in those moments of grief where it seems like, you know, there can't be anything here, um, that this that's has it. to be purposeless, so. Yeah. Oh, that's so beautiful. Paula, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. Thank you for just amazing vulnerability and the courage that you have and the way that you've processed your grief and, and the loss of your husband and your daughter. is just, you honor their memory so well. So thank you so much for coming on the show today.
1: You're welcome. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. Mm-hmm. And maybe somebody out there is encouraged a little bit and that's the most you and I both you know can hope. Yes.
0: Amen. Thanks for listening to Paula and I's conversation. You can find the show notes for today's episode at oldfashionedgirlblog.com. There you'll find the resources that Paula and I mentioned, as well as links to the books that Paula has authored. If you have a spare moment today, please take a minute to rate and review Letters to Women on iTunes. The more rates and reviews a podcast has, the easier it is for others to discover and listen to. Want to join the Letters to Women team? By joining my team on Patreon, you'll have access to behind-the-scenes sneak peeks, members-only polls, and discussions about upcoming podcast guests check it out today at patreon.com/letters to women. Thanks for again for listening and that's all I have for today. But until next time, be not afraid.